0: Well, come on back and uh, grab a Bible, grab a Bible, and uh, turn with me, would you, to uh, the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. If anyone needs a Bible, raise your hand and... uh, somebody back there will get you a Bible, but raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise it up, and uh, you're going to want to follow along here. Otherwise, if you have a phone, you can put the Bible app on your phone. Oh, there's one. we got to take her. Charge her for the rent. No, I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. (laughs) Okay. You ever been in a church where they fight about the pastor? Well, yeah. Come on, folks. I've been a congregant myself. I know when people say, oh my goodness, you know, they have four or five pastors on staff, and they say, oh man, Pastor number two is preaching today. I'm coming. I just kind of stay away when Pastor 1 is there. It's not my thing. Or, ooh, Pastor 4, he's got some great ideas. I'm going this week. Come on now. You've said that yourself. I've said that. Well, this Corinthian church had that problem. In fact, they had a lot of problems, this Corinthian church. I went through last week that this man named Paul wrote this book. And he's not writing a treatise on, system, you know, a systematic theology here. He's writing a letter in response to problems that have been raised by a church in Greece. Who, by the way, or which, by the way, was a part of the Roman world. And we talked about it last week. This... Little place called Corinth, I guess it's not so little, but it was on an isthmus, a little land strip four miles across that was a kind of an intersection of international travel. In fact, from east to west or west to east, because they didn't want to go around the Cape over to Rome, they would bring their ships sort of up on dry dock or their ships and they would roll it all the way across four miles and then put it in the ocean on the other side so they wouldn't have to go around the Cape because it was notorious for being really dangerous. Man, can you believe that? How would they figure that out? And also north to south because going up to Macedonia, which is upper Greece and back and forth, it was just sort of an intersection so you had a lot of trade and commerce and business. And then what does that attract? It attracts all the new styles and, you know, the fashion and the up-to-date things and the cosmopolitan stuff. And that was all found in the marketplaces. But also, uh, Greece, as you I'm sure know, they served, uh, you know, the Grecian people, they served, or the Greeks, they served Many gods. You 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 know it, you grew up in you know public school reading about it and stuff. At least I did, I don't know about you. <laughs> but Zeus and Thor and Apollos and all or I don't know if Apollos was one, he's one of these speakers, but they did have on this Isthmus, this land strip, as I told you last week a temple on the hill that overlooked this strip to the goddess of love. And the one way in which they worshipped is at night, the mariners and the seamen and the people would be out in the streets and 1,000 prostitutes who were priestesses would come out of the temple and at night they would worship, so to speak. And so this was a town that was full of Inappropriate sex, wickedness in other ways, love of money, but it also was a place where a high idea and thought and philosophy was valued and treasured. In fact, you can go on the internet and see how Aristotle put together this uh, syllabus sort of for his Students that told you how to speak and to be an orator in the public arena so that you were most effective. And it was really interesting. It talks about the way in which you project yourself has an impact on the audience. And though the, um, it's sort of like modern-day advertising kind of stuff, the way in which um, you speak and raise your voice and all that, I mean, it, it goes through it has an impact on the audience, again, because they want to know what you're saying is trustworthy. And so there's a way to do that. And Aristotle kind of uh, sets that forth. And then, of course, logic and reasoning and how to speak and to bring somebody to think the same way you do. And these things were highly treasured in this culture. They would be out in the gates in the city streets and they would debate and argue and then they would have sort of like concert-like stuff. We kind of have it today. You ever see that new thing that's sweeping the country where people get up and tell stories on stage and that's it. They just tell stories and it's like storytelling. Uh, Anyway, they they would do this in the the, the concert halls and they would debate and think and they had a certain way of thinking about what life was about and if there was God's who they were and what was their purpose, and they would debate this stuff, you know. And so, against that backdrop, Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church who has contacted him because there's problems. Remember, on his second missionary journey, you could read all about it in Acts 18. He was traveling around the ancient world and he established this church and he stayed there for 18 months. He gave his heart and soul to this church in building these people up and they're just a little speck of people, just a gathering of people amongst this great big city. And and what's funny about it is to the human mind, to the unregenerate mind, to a person who's thinking humanly, or according to the wisdom of human thinking, there's no way the speck is going to have any impact on the culture. And yet, in this asking by this church for um, advice from Paul, Paul delivers to us how, why, and when we can have an impact in our culture. And boy, folks, come on now. I get it. There's a pandemic, and you're all sick of it, and we're sick of it. And and I understand, and I, I'm not trying to be super pious here, but is there a greater time in all of history to show forth the glories of Christ than now? When, when a whole world is fearful and uncertain and doesn't know where to turn. God himself, for the born-again Christian, a child of God, has put his spirit inside of you, and that spirit is a spirit of no fear. And self-control. We really need that before we go on social media. Oh, my goodness. Right? Is there a greater time in all of the world? Yeah, you know, I know it sounds like I'm a curmudgeon or something, but it's now. And here, look at this. In uh, chapter 1, one of the problems that is facing the church in chapter 1, it's obviously a problem because Paul talks about it here in chapter 1, but then he devotes all of chapter 2 to the problem, and that's this. That there's been divisions in the church because many people like to follow Paul and his teachings, pastor number one, or Apollos, pastor number two, or Cephas, or they just like to be non-denominational. I am of Christ. (laughs) So you can imagine, man, Apollos is speaking today. Let's go. You, You get it? And and Paul then starts to correct them and show them through the end of chapter 1 that there's this wisdom that's from God, and yet there's a wisdom that's earthly. Now, let me take you somewhere. We did this when we were in Ecclesiastes. Go over to the third chapter of the book of James. Go over there and look, follow this along with your eyes. There's a wisdom that's from man. Then there's a wisdom that's from heaven itself, from God himself, and there's a big difference in the wisdom. In fact, there's so much in verse 13 of chapter 3 of the book of James, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness. You don't have to tell anybody you have power or advertise that you have power in this life because Christ himself is showing forth, and you don't need to say anything about it. You and I are, have a treasure, Christ, in us, in earthen vessels, just clay, earthy pots with a lot of cracks in it, which is fantastic because his light can shine through us. But listen to this. Who is what? Let him show by good conduct conduct, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, James 3. But if you have bitter envy... This one just, oh man, come on now. Self-seeking, who in your hearts. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom doesn't descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, oh my, that's everywhere in the current culture, folks. Confusion and every evil thing are there, but the wisdom that is from above, don't you want this wisdom? Don't you really want wisdom that's this? Is uh, first, it's pure. Then peaceable. Gentle. Oh, man, here it comes. Willing to yield. You say, well, I don't I'm not yielding on righteousness. I don't no one's ever saying that. But folks, you don't always have to tell everybody everything you know and be right at every occasion. Willing to yield, full of mercy, not giving people what they deserve, holding it back. It's like in politics. And good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. What's hypocrisy? It's the drama mask. You do one thing in front of one person, take it off and do something else in front of the other people. You're just who you are in Christ. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And the Bible says, listen to this. If you want to start really being wise, Proverbs, do this first. Fear the Lord. You say fear like, what, Friday the 13th fear? No, not Friday the 13th fear. Come into that living dynamic relationship of reverence and awe of who God is by the Son, Jesus Christ, as he implants his Holy Spirit in your heart. And now there's wisdom. See, here's the difference. There's a lot of people that have tons of knowledge So what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? You ever met somebody that has tons of knowledge but can't apply it in any way? Okay, there's the difference, except for here's the twist now. If you're outside of Christ, you're not really wise. I don't care if you have a PhD from Yale, Harvard, Stanford, wherever. The Bible says that you're only really wise when you have the knowledge of God And can live it out by the power of his spirit. So that when a pandemic hits, you stay on mission. Or whatever. I'm just saying that because it's our current situation. What's our mission? So easy. Just because you read the Bible and so do I. It's to glorify God. And enjoy him forever. Just glorify God. Show fruit forth to a world that's hurting and dark so that they can come and eat too and be involved uh, or be accepted into the beloved and come into the family. Now, see, (laughs) they're having this problem (laughs) that Paul's dealing with. Come on, folks. Quit being divided over the pastor. In fact, hey, pastors. You folks have a problem. <laughs> As we've been studying in Jeremiah, by the way, timeout, rabbit trail, all these hundreds of years before in the Old Testament, the reason Jeremiah and Ezekiel says or was at the root of the problem that Israel was taken into captivity by Babylon because the leaders, especially the spiritual leaders, weren't seeking the Lord. And here he's saying, if you get back, watch this, to right preaching of the word in supernatural Holy Spirit wisdom and not fleshly or human wisdom, and, this is why I started you out on this, if the congregation is receiving the word in the proper way, these things will go away. Division. Man, is division ugly? The inappropriate division. It's ugly. And the watching world says, What is going on with that? Paul's gonna address several other issues carnality, immorality, what happens when I sue another believer? That's all gonna be in this letter. Uh oh, the problem of fornication. Marriage and divorce, he's going to talk about. Abusing the Lord's Supper, the roles of men and women in the church. Apparently, the people in Corinth were emphasizing or overemphasizing, and I don't think we emphasize it enough, but overemphasizing spiritual gifts. There was this lack of love, this thing about speaking in tongues, this inappropriate teaching about the resurrection from the dead. And they were also, Paul, real important, collecting money for the saints to take to Jerusalem. These are all addressed right here in this letter. Sounds like modern-day church, doesn't it? (laughs) Ministry, folks, is messy. But if you run from the mess, the beauty never happens. The Bible says confront the mess Not confront, but but stand up to it. Think about it. Walk through it. Move through it with him and the other people. Walk through it together. The problem with the American church is everybody just church hops. And once there's a problem, they go, I'm never going there again. And they never do. And it messes with your sanctification because how can the Holy Spirit do anything if we won't meet with people and talk with people and pray through it together? Okay, that's what's happening in this church. You get the picture? And here in the second chapter, listen to this. He says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, verse 1 of chapter 2, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Mark that. What should your wisdom be in? Or excuse me, what should your faith be in? Mark it. What should it be? It's just as plain as day there. However, verse 6, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of the age knew. For they ha- or for had they known, then would not have crucified the Lord of glory, the Lord of glory. But as it is written, a paraphrase now of Isaiah 64. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have I entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared, or nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows... The things of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Man, aren't you excited about that? Well I'm excited right there now. Don't you like free stuff? Yeah, it was free, but it was costly. These things, verse 13, We also speak not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Somebody asked me this question this morning. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Again, that's from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. And then this staggering verse. But we have the mind of Christ. Well, let's examine this. Who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to the brothers and sisters in Corinth, in Greece, in Corinth, in that little land peninsula, this little church that now has to somehow, some way, as they're sitting there in Corinth, think, how am, I, how am I going to impact our culture for Christ? Sound familiar? people pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to hire experts and marketing strategies to figure what Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has already told us a waste of money Paul says this, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Now, you've got to know something about Paul, because if you don't, that doesn't make much sense. Here's Paul, maybe, or I don't know if I could say this, but one of the smartest human beings in the church. He studied the law, the Jewish religion, under the greatest teacher, maybe, of all time in, in, in their ancient times. I mean, he went to the greatest seminary, with the greatest privileges, and ascended to the highest of heights in the religious society of the Jews, and had all the things that go with that. Access, power. I mean, he was putting hits out on Christians, folks. He had some power part of the ruling council of Israel, and here he comes. He's marched himself in Acts 18 down from Athens. You ever heard of Athens? What happened in Athens? What famous thing you just watched all summer? Didn't the Olympics happen there? And then they had Olympics in the uh, Isthmus Olympics too. They had some Olympics that were different down by Corinth, but whatever. He came from Athens and he gives a speech in the prior chapters of Acts, he gives a testimony, and he uses the things that the Athenians were used to. But listen to this, listen to this. He doesn't really discuss much in that speech, or in that uh, confession, or in that declaration of the gospel. He doesn't give much about the cross of Christ, and some people, I'm not saying I agree with it, I'm just giving you what some folks think, think, well, he made a decision after Athens. I ain't going anywhere else, and I'm not going to give a gospel presentation without talking about the cross of Christ. Some people believe that. Other people believe he's just doing what he's always been doing, talking about Christ, What can we learn of Paul as the leadership here and as you prepare your hearts to receive the word of God? Well, it's told in a really famous story about church. A beautiful young family had come to the church, and on that particular day, in this beautiful Church with stained glass behind the pastors, including a picture of Jesus. There happened to be a substitute pastor that day. And that substitute pastor was significantly shorter than the regular pastor. And the little girl uh, leans over to her dad and says, Oh, good, Daddy. The pastor's not here. We can finally see Jesus. See, Paul decided something, maybe after Athens, but probably during his whole entire journey with Christ as God called him to this ancient world establishing, is that he was going to remember that he was just a weak human vessel that was to shine forth Jesus Christ. And so that one of the things that the pastors are to do is not for you to leave this service and say, oh, pastor, man, you were amazing today. But to say, oh, the glories of Christ were held up. Just forget the pastor. He's just the vessel with the end goal of knowing Christ more and more. Spurgeon said this, I texted it out to some of the guys last night, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said, when I find a text, I, ex- you know, explain the text and make a, make a beeline for the cross of Christ. Wow. It all relates back to Jesus. Now, When I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech. That's interesting. Just plain speech. Just explaining it plainly. Not being clever or manipulative or have any hidden agenda for you to like the pastor or anyone else. Just explaining Jesus Christ in all his glories. Just holding him up for the congregation to see and to hear as they have already prayed and prepared their hearts to receive the implanted word, the testimonies, the statutes. That... I didn't want to come with some wisdom of the world to declare to you the testimony of God. Here you go. Look at this, folks. Testimony of God. It's a legal word right there. Paul is saying right here, I don't think, by the way, that he's saying, and I've had a pastor friend of mine not do this one time, and he it was a really funny story, where he doesn't prepare this isn't saying don't prepare, don't do your best as the pastor, don't do uh, work. We had a, my friend said one time he just said he showed up and it was really a bomb and they got out like 40 minutes early. <laughs> but that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I think, I'm not here to trust in, to depend on my excellence or my wisdom. When I declare to you what is the testimony of God. What do, you, what do you do when you give testimony, folks? You hold up your hand and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And then if some crazy lawyer asks you, well, what did, uh, what did Xander see that night? You say, I don't know. How would I know what Xander saw? Go ask Xander. In fact, the other attorney will object, and you'll never be able to say what Xander said. It's called hearsay. What here's happening is, under the legal term, Paul's saying... I got to hold up my hand as a pastor, watch this, watch this, and tell you what is really and rightly true about Jesus Christ and him crucified. By the way, time out. Does this mean every sermon has to be the Good Friday sermon? No, it can't mean that. How do you know it can't mean that? Because Paul taught us about a million things in the church. You get it? I mean, he's going to teach us about not suing people in the church. But the basis for it is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You get it? Not every sermon is going to be about what happened at the cross. But every sermon, hopefully, is going to be rooted in what did happen at the cross that makes suing a brother or a sister inappropriate. You get the difference? Okay, we're going to teach you about what the Bible says but it's all hopefully going to be related back to that. That's what Paul's saying. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember Paul in our last book Colossians dealt with the Gnostics remember that? Gnostic in the Greek means knowledge. Paul was really keen to this idea. Now he's, he's fighting over in Colossians this thing against legalism. Watch this. In Corinthians, he's fighting this thing against licentiousness. Like, here, I give you a license to do whatever you want. Go sin. That's what he's fighting here in Corinth. Corinth but in both i want you to see this as i'm the pastor i'm hoping that you learn this and i and 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 it starts with me is that the number one overarching theme of my life is not that i could get you to be moral robots but that you would know christ more and more in deeper ways through sufferings and trials through victories through conflicts That we, through the scriptures, I would hold forth Christ Himself and you would come to know Him in a greater way. Not that you would know me and pat me on the back, but that you would uphold Him in your whole life. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Can you believe this? This is a smart guy, powerful guy, comes on the road to Damascus and becomes a Christian. After he'd been a religious person, he becomes a Christian, and he what does he have to be nervous about? He's in front of everybody talking and being eloquent and making arguments and setting up churches and doing all those sorts of things. What, what does he possibly have to be nervous about? G. Campbell Morgan says it's the best in his commentary on this scripture. He says this, I don't think Paul or I don't think this verse is speculating on the cause, but the effect of Paul's words, declaring, quote, so great was his sense of weakness and fear and so profound Paul's lack of trust in himself without Christ in his life, in himself. In fact, he killed Christians without Christ in his life. I don't think it was his sense of, so great was his sense of weakness and fear and so profound his lack of trust in himself that he quaked He trembled, and those are the secrets of strength in preaching. Hey, somebody just asked me this week. I don't know what I was doing. Maybe it was when I was doing the marriage ceremony last week. Are you nervous? I said, yeah, I'm nervous. I get nervous if I teach Sunday school, folks. Why? It's such an awesome responsibility that I am the vessel through which these kids or these people who are listening to a wedding ceremony or here today they're learning the scriptures I'm just a vessel but my words hopefully come from heaven through me and they're not my own words you get the difference and so I get nervous Paul here is nervous. That's the place to be in preaching. I was with you in weakness, verse 3, in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. I don't want to talk you in to giving your life to Christ. I want, you want, we want, the Bible says that it's a demonstration of the spirit of Christ when somebody comes to know the Lord or comes to surrender their life to Christ. See, I'm not trying to, I've been trained to get you to believe something in my earthly training. You give me five or ten minutes, I'm just telling you, on some subject in the church you want to debate about, I'll debate you. I know how to do that, but that's of no effect here. It's just setting forth the glories of Christ so that there will be a demonstration of the spirit and of the power. What? Power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So listen, I know some of you are glazing over. You're like, couldn't there be a more interesting chapter? Where well, there's nothing more interesting than this. Here it comes. The power of God. What is the power of God? Where is the power of God? What are we talking about here? Turn over to chapter one, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. So you're saying, wait, wait a second. I didn't even catch that. What's the power of God? Here's the power of God. If you want to know and experience the power of God, give all of your life to what happened at the cross. In fact, you say, well, how do I do that? Jesus said, you pick up your cross daily and follow me. Our life is a continually giving of over of our pride and self-sufficiency to the cross. What happened at the cross? He died and rose again and so many other things. It's so simple that a child can give their life to Christ through the gospel and yet it's so profound, theologians have been writing about it in volumes and volumes and volumes for 2,000 years about what happened at the cross. But what did happen was he died and the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. There's nothing more powerful. So the atonement of God and the sacrifice of Christ in obedience. Do you remember what he said in the garden? It's almost too hard to believe. Not a good thing for the pastor to say, right? He said, Lord, if there's any other way, anything... Take this cup. What was the cup? It was the wrath of God that was about ready to be poured out on him. Take this cup. But but Lord, but Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Your will be done, Lord. I submit everything to your will. That's the cross. And we got a bunch of churches and Christians who run around and ask God to bend to our will. Lord, I just, you know, just need you today because, you know, the bonus reviews up, and I really need a lot of money so I can get that new car, and I need you to bless me. I mean, that's how we treat the Lord. Here, that's nothing. It says that we are to preach the demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith, as you've asked for the implanted word to hit you, should not be in this wisdom. I could convince you of some stuff. People can convince you of stuff, Not that, but that your faith is rooted in the cross, the death, and resurrection of Christ and all that that means. And listen, when we go there, look, watch, watch what happens. We take it outside these walls and nobody can stop us because the Bible says that when we're in the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, watch, when we're walking according to the Spirit, Against such thing, there's no law. You can do anything you want. You can ban prayer in schools. You can tell me this or that about Christianity. But when I and you and we together in a spiritual direction or a spiritual move go out and take the gospel and live it out in a world that doesn't want to hear it sometimes, but when we live it out in that world, that's when... It's effective, but you and I, we have to come to that place of lack of self-sufficiency or crucifying the self-life. You see that? Because I got to tell you, it's really easy. I'll just be honest. If you're mad at me for being honest, well, too bad. I do this two times a week. there would be this tendency for the pastor to, you know, ah, Lord, I've done that. By the way, I've taught this here before. I got this. No problem. And, And I could give you the information, but then there's no spirit filled in it. There's no spirit direction. The Lord wants to take a person to, it doesn't have to be me, but a person who's seeking the Lord and finding what God wants to say through the scriptures, delivering it to them. These people have a prepared heart, and then they go out and share it. And that's what your faith is to be based on. You see, here it does a second thing. It eliminates division. Come on. I know it's not about the messenger. (laughs) If I'm sitting out there, some people are just quiet and docile and they don't spit like me and stuff like that. And they're a gazillion times more spirit filled and effective than I am. It's because the Lord is in it, man. And there's people who can, you know, walk across the stage and Take the sweat off their brow and be yelling and screaming and rolling around and you think, my goodness, they're really holy and there's nothing in it. It's got to be spirit filled. It's got to be spirit led. The the spirit comes into the is, is controlling the pastor and using his personality. Don't have to be gregarious, don't have to be loud, whatever. And, and giving it out, the scriptures and the people are receiving it and they're focused on this living and active word. It's not just words on a page and that is powerful. Yes. And that's what your faith should be based in. You get it? So that you don't care if Apollos is there that day or pastor number three or pastor number four. You're just like, wow, the word of God, come into me, Lord, and let me take it out to the streets. How about this however we speak wisdom verse 6 among those who are mature that just means you know growing uh, uh, you know growing and the trajectory of their life is you know moving in a christ-like way we speak wisdom among those who are mature yet yeah, not the wisdom of this age you understand folks oh boy i'll get in trouble for this but i'm going to say it anyway there's a lot of churches with millions of people, not millions, lots of people. And the people up there are just giving you worldly wisdom through the Bible. And the Bible says that that will itch people's ears and many will come. Is there anything wrong I have a big church? No, there's lots of spirit-filled big churches. Praise the Lord for them, yes. But there's a lot of churches where they're more interested in the coffee bar, whether they have a photo booth, for Instagram than they are the word of God. They want you to preach in 17 minutes and get out and that just ain't the thing man. It's the word of God that does its work. He says we're going to speak wisdom among the mature yet not the wisdom of this age that's all about self and how happy you should be in your best life now nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in mystery. Now, look, a mystery in the Bible is something that was hidden but has been revealed. That's Jesus. And, you know, for half of the Bible here or more, there's this building, if you read the Old Testament, of the coming person. And then he arrives on the scene in the Bible, and many people don't get it. But it was hidden wisdom, Jesus, who was... Revealed at the proper time. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. I want you to consider something. See, this is amazing. And that's this. That God had Jesus and his mission planned out for all time. And what's amazing about that is one God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, existed, obviously, eternally. Before the foundation, before the world was built, in perfect self-sufficiency and communion, God the, Holy, or God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet one God, and yet made man and women, knowing they were going to fall, which meant Jesus had to come to the earth as a baby in diapers, a baby born to die, watch it, and it was ordained by the Father that this sacrifice would be made. See, you're part of this grand and bigger picture. It's bigger than your paycheck. It's bigger than our circumstances, although we love our circumstances. No one's saying your circumstances are important. But We're part of this big picture. He ordained this before the ages. Why? Look, so that you could participate in his glory. You You understand glory means weight or substance? And do you understand why Rich, Tom Brady, who loves Tom Brady? I know you guys love Tom Brady. They ask him after I forget, Super Bowl second or third. and He's like, is this all there is? And you think, well, Tom Brady, come on, weighty, glory, Super Bowl champion, seven times. <laughs> I know you are. But here's what the Bible's saying right here. When you become a child of God, and we're not all children of God, watch this. Your life then takes on weight, his weight. You get all that he is. In other words, your life has meaning. Finally, you can rest in the meaning that we are loved and love God, ordained for our glory, which none of the rulers of the age knew. I love that one, don't you? So all these rulers we read about on Good Friday and Easter week, Herod, Pontius Pilate, all the rulers there, the, the humans, yes. And then also the Bible speaks of, doesn't it, There are principalities and powers that are demonic forces. And many people, you know, or, I mean, these people are acting according to the demonic forces and they're all saying, let's kill him. It's, we could do it. It's gonna, we're going to get rid of him, man. We're going to kill him. And Jesus, the very thing that they thought would destroy him, was the thing that unlocked all for all the ages our glories in heaven. Colossians says it. He defeated the powers of darkness, the big uppercut, man. That's what he did they would not have crucified the Lord of glory if they knew that. But as it is written there in Isaiah 64, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now this is fascinating because you all hear this at a funeral and you go, oh yeah, the things that the Lord has prepared for me in heaven. Oh, it's so wonderful, but you're missing the point. Of course there are going to be glories in heaven. The ultimate glory. Us with God and God with us. That's the ultimate. But what he's saying is for the here and now, you can have everything that is in Christ. All the riches for the present age. How do I know this? Isaiah 64 is talking about the Babylonian exile of Judah. And what this is saying is, even though your circumstances stink right now, is, or Judah... You have no idea what God has in store for you right now. And that's what he's saying to you. Everything's available to you. All the riches of his grace. Everything's available. All that Christ is, you have. You see how important that is? So when you go to a funeral and you hear this, go up and correct the pastor afterwards and say, yeah, but that's also for today. No, don't do that. But you'll remember it. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Remember that. If you're trying to just understand this stuff intellectually, do this. How about do this? Ask the Spirit to reveal truth to you. When you're reading your Bible, ask the Spirit to reveal truth to you. Don't just depend upon your own earthly wisdom because that's the job of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, for the Spirit searches all things. He looks in your heart. He knows what you need. And then he knows the deep things of God because he's the spirit of God. <laughs> For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man. Our personality knows us humanly, is what he's kind of saying. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. You get this? Now, here's what Paul says to you and to I. By the spirit, you and I, we have received we, don't, we haven't received the spirit of the world, but we have the spirit who is from God. The spirit of Christ. The spirit comes to us. We have the Holy Spirit. You know this, right? The Bible says if you give your life to Christ, he comes into your life, and you are now the temple of God. You're now where the spirit of God resides. You understand this, right, Christians? The spirit doesn't reside in a church. Thank goodness we can come here, and the Spirit is here, but the Spirit's here because you're here, and you have the Spirit of God residing. There's nothing special about the building is what I'm trying to say. You could meet in your homes. You could meet in the tent down the street, which one church does. That's really cool. It'll a fire department. Outside, do it. That's awesome because the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God comes and resides right there but only for those who surrender their lives to Jesus isn't that beautiful that's another ministry of the spirit we have received not the spirit but the spirit who's from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God now you're saying to yourself well you're talking about the pastor does it even apply to me oh yeah it applies to you folks you know why I know it applies to you Read this verse, or listen to this verse in Romans 10:14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear it without a preacher? When you go to the beauty shop, or to the barber shop, or to the gas station, or to the blah, 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 the Bible calls you... To make disciples by sharing the word. And what are you to share? Not worldly wisdom, but spirit-filled wisdom that centers on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Just bring them back to that. They're going to ask you things. They'll come to your house and they'll say... Well, what about Adam and Eve, and you know, there's kids, and what about who did they marry, and all that sort of thing, and why did God pick Israel, and what about the aborigines in the rainforest? And they're going to ask all those things, and you can answer those things, no problem. It, the Bible calls us to give a reason for the hope we have before us, but every one of those questions, every single one, bring them back to what happened at the cross and resurrection. Amen. Every single one. You're called to do this too. Listen to this in 1 John 5 for you who is called in this way. And this is the testimony that God has given us. You're saying, what do I testify about? Well, here it is. He tells you in 1 John. This is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let me read that again. I mean... Even I can remember that one. you're out and they're asking you questions and they're doing all this sort of thing and then the, the Lord just puts on your heart, yeah, but this really simple verse in 1 John 5, can I show it to you and could you read it for me? It's he who has the son has life. Who does that mean? Anybody that takes the son into their life has life, but he who doesn't have the son of God does not have life. And the testimony then becomes eternal life, all because of the death and resurrection of Christ. See, we are one-stringed guitars. That's all we are. We know one tune. In all, God uses, I don't see one person in here with the same exact personality. He takes your personality, fills you up with his spirit has you take in the word of God and then sends you out and he uses your personality to proclaim his glory and it's all about one thing. Who is Jesus to you? Did he, is he your Lord and Savior? Do you recognize that he died for your sins? And there it is. It's important for you to know this. Well, these things we also speak, verse 13, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. You see that? He leaves the Holy Spirit here as he ascended to heaven to teach us all things. We're not relying on the Holy Spirit a lot. But with the natural man, or but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. Who's the natural man? It's people who haven't surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. they don't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why would they? Why do you turn the TV on and get mad? That's the way people are supposed to act without Christ. But the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them. He doesn't know spiritual things because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Look at this. Watch this. Another quote from Isaiah. Watch this. In Isaiah, the question was asked, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? In other words, the implication is nobody. And then right behind it, I mean, come on, come on. (laughs) Paul sticks this little line in there and it's just like, are you kidding me? This thing that's been around, this scripture that's been around for all these thousands of years. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And the implication is, you have the resources. And that's this. We have the mind of Christ. You see, there's, we have this little foundations class. I'll pick on Gary here. In a good way. Almost every week, you know what he tells us in there? My whole thinking has changed. Yes. Everything I ever thought before for all those years, blown up, and I think in a different way. Here it is right here. It's because he has the mind of Christ. What does that mean? We live life from our Savior's point of view now. We have his Very life. His desires, His values come to us by the Word of God and are amplified in our life and made real in our life by the Spirit of God, and then He sends us out to do it. It's true, we still can't instruct God. No, we can't do that. But we have a new capacity to think the thoughts of God. Look at this. I want to show you something. If you want to see what is available to the Christian, you know what I would say we should do? (laughs) Let's take what Jesus said on the cross. We have available to us the mind of Christ. Watch this. What is one thing now that you're to be about because you have the mind of Christ? What's one thing you're to be about? Here it is, first saying on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do, Luke 23. In other words, you think the thoughts of God. When people revile you, when you're walking in the Spirit, you freely forgive. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. Now we're coming at you. At least me, man. Do you see why you're to take up your cross daily? I have to crucify that part of my life, over and I just oh my goodness, that's just trying to rise up there, man. Maybe I'm the only one. What about number two? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Luke twenty three says, here's a dying robber, murderer, criminal, whatever, a lawbreaker. There we go, crucified and helpless. Jesus goes to a fellow sufferer and he speaks the words of heaven. He gives the promise of heaven to everyone, anyone who's around him who will surrender their life to him. He speaks the words of heaven. That's the mind of Christ. How about this? Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. John 19. Here in his... Suffering, in his pain, in his heartbreak, in his loneliness, he's concerned about his mom, and he introduces her into a new and wonderful relationship with God. In other words, he was out to protect those who were hurting. Oh, come on now! My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Forth One, he's showing us uh, that in this place he is cut off from God, but sometimes, you know, the Bible tells us that we're to be in this world, but not of this world. Sometimes you have to walk a lonely road, folks. That's the mind of Christ. You can't do all the things that the world wants to do. Because you serve a God who wants to keep you safe and healthy and happy. and so he just says some things to you that are different from the world learn <laughs> their rules. I thirst John 19. <laughs> I thirst here in his humanness, he's indicating that he was thirsty. we know he'd been tired, he needed some things and some, In this case, he needed water, of course. And here's the great thing. When you come to the cross, Jesus says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, which living waters will flow out of you, and you'll never, ever thirst again. It is finished. What does that speak of the mind of Christ? Well, we are obedience. Here, Jesus was obedient to the point of death, sometimes we can't even be obedient at work in our carol next door because somebody's making fun of us. Here, Jesus is obedient unto death. The mind of Christ says, We'll follow God no matter what. We'll submit to his will. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, the mind of Christ. I could go on and on. We could be here for hours. The compassion of Christ with lepers. Nobody would touch a leper. That's the mind of Christ. He was meek and lowly in heart. That's quiet strength. He didn't have to tell people about his strength or beat in his chest and show everybody his strength. He was strong because he laid down his life. And laid down life is a meek, powerful life. He was unselfish for even Christ. pleased not himself, Romans 15. He was submitted to God's word, Matthew 4. Jesus said unto him, it is written... He walked in love, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us in Ephesians 2. He was sympathetic. Jesus, you know, folks, he wept. I could go on and on. I won't. You're like, come on, let's go. Here's what I want to say to you. If you're sitting here and you've never had a relationship with Christ, if you say to yourself, I have no idea whether I'm going to heaven. Maybe I am, maybe I'm good. See, it's not about any of that. It's about what it's about is surrendering your life to the Lord and his sacrifice, his death and resurrection, so that his righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21, will be imputed to you so that God, who is both the just and the justifier, can live with you forever forever. Because of his sacrifice and all that he has done. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you get the mind of Christ. You start as you study the word and ask the spirit to work in your life. And as you walk in the spirit, these things become you. So that when you go out in a pandemic... The glories of God are radiating from that earthen vessel, and there's fruit there for other people to take hold of and to be refreshed by. And if you've never done that, I'm asking that you would do that today and then come speak to us after. Folks, I just want you to know you have a great mission, but it never changes. It's the same on Monday as it is on Friday night. It's the same on Saturday as it is on Tuesday. It's to glorify God and walk in his will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these words, and thank you for your faithfulness. We even sang about it today, Lord. You're faithful in this that you tell us a promise, or you give us a promise, and we can count on it always. You never fail. Lord, help us to see how you're our life, our all in all. And as we go out today, may we share the gospel, the good news. May we get rid of people-pleasing which is really an idol of ourselves, move out of the way so that people can see Jesus and yet allow him to use our abilities for his glory. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.